0: okay okay this is exciting but i'm nervous right now for some reason
1: great you're not supposed to be nervous you're the one who's done this before i know yeah you're in charge you're that makes you that makes you feel more nervous doesn't it like, no i
0: mean pretty. it's <laughs> only your doctoral program i know i know but here's the one getting graded here's the here's the problem and we're, we've already started the podcast but it's the only way that i know how to start anything whether it's like whenever i start uttering anything like whenever like any audible or visual thing is happening emanating from me i never know how to start it like the beginning is my achilles heel yeah you know what i mean
1: we just prayed i i think about that like you know being a pastor being a christian like we always pray before things i literally when i was working for a bus company we'd have meetings that i was leading yeah and i'd like almost like i never did it but i came so close to being like okay we're gonna start with prayer like <laughs> like yeah uh, yeah there's so there's something there we could have that as a conversation at some point like yeah. what is it like it's true is?
0: it's true is it too profane to say like maybe praying at the beginning is just not my th- like that's i'm living in a alternate universe where you want to pray during the middle of things mm-hmm. like i had this thought about like eating like praying before eating Like I'm trying to build into (laughs) without telling my like family, like that's like not actually like normal. Like I want them to like take like two or three bites of whatever they're eating and then pray because then you're getting your sensory involved Mm -hmm. in the whole process of prayer. And I could just like see like 10 years down the line, like, like Isaac diving in and eating while everyone's just like, what is he doing? Why we haven't even prayed yet. And then he's just being like, what, this is, isn't this how you're supposed to do it? You're supposed to pray after you start eating. These are like the if, first fruits, the first chews, yeah. the first bites, and then you dedicate them to the Lord. I think that is biblical we, we need That to, makes
2: a lot of sense.
0: We need to dive into that more theologically in a in a future episode. But I mean, I, I never understood like withholding goodness and then like, you know, praying. It's almost like penitence. You
2: say thank you before you taste it, which is weird. Yeah. But I like that you're theologically pranking your children. That's <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hello, everybody. You are listening to the Inevitable Church Podcast, a podcast about faith and culture and the future of the church and all matters of silliness. Uh, this podcast is an invitation into having meaningful, candid conversations about really, really cool topics around church and how it's changing over time. Today is Thursday, February fourth, twenty twenty one. This is episode zero, the pilot. I like how most TV shows now like label their first episode like literally the pilot. So I'm doing the same thing. I'm a slave to the trends because well, it's
1: a pilot does that mean like whoever's not like popular we don't show up on the next one exactly It'll be like you like it's vaguely like yeah. me, but a lot cooler yeah this is an audition that's how it works in pilot tv shows yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly exactly backgrounds will all be different
0: yeah 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 <laughs> i mean what is the, by the way what is the best pilot you've ever seen that can you remember like what episode just like hooked you in it was like the pilot episode of a tv show you're like i would not be into this but now that i've seen the episode i'm in
2: Honestly, I don't, I, I don't think pilots yeah. ever hook me in. Yeah, I have to like watch it with friends before I'm ever hooked into a TV show. Yeah, it doesn't say a whole lot about any pilot.
1: Yeah, you know- I actually like stuff better when I jump in in the middle.
2: Yeah, what? what? famous one for me is
1: Pirates of yes. the Caribbean one. Like, I never saw. Like, I saw the middle of it. Like, the first part of Pirates of the Caribbean I ever saw was where Keira Knightley's character, like, she takes this the knife, the butter knife, and like stabs the captain on the ship. And I was like, what the heck? And then it's like, oh, he's like not actually alive. And it was so great. And then I watched it from the beginning. It was really dull and boring.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So I like to jump in halfway and have no idea what's
0: going on. That's super
1: weird. I like that
2: with TV shows too. Yeah, yeah. Because I jump in in the middle with some random friend, like with The Office. I watched a random episode in the middle and I was like, it makes no sense. And then the the beginning became so much more appealing to me.
0: That is so weird. Okay. Um, (laughs) I am regretting starting this podcast with both of you. Uh, by the way for me it was queen's gambit (laughs) queen's gambit i was like i don't know if i'm into chess but then i first i watched the first episode i'm like yo this isn't this is crazy i like i'll give you that one yeah that was good um by the way this is a semiotics podcast we we are a group of friends who love uh following jesus and talking about church and thinking about faith and thinking about the world theologically as well as socially and culturally, and in this pilot episode, we're going to be diving into uh, I would say foundational or fundamental themes that we're going to just be talking throughout uh, this the the life of this podcast, which so far the projection is it's a very short life, and and so we're going to uh, we're going to be diving into things like. The end and the beginning of the church, a look back on the printing press and faith. Uh, And then we're also going to be diving into art. How is art changing as we incorporate technology, as we move uh, more and more into the future? And then lastly, uh, the topic of uh, the Lord's table. Uh, How does that work? in a digital world, can we celebrate the Lord's table online? Is kind of the question that we've been thinking about. So why don't we introduce uh, this ragtag group of people here? Uh, starting with myself, my name is Min Choi. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm a Anglican semiotician. Uh, I'm a professional filmmaker. I'm a sneakerhead, and I enjoy podcasts and uh, making um, a yet-to-be-determined quality podcast like this one. Uh, Stephen, why don't we start with you? Can you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Yeah, I'm Stephen Anderson. I am the senior pastor at Mount Pleasant Bible Church in the Thumb of Michigan. And yes, they actually do refer to it as the Thumb. You got the built-in map thing going on with Michigan. right. <laughs> I live right here. Um, and... Uh I just yeah, I enjoy all ideas and thinking through things and learning new stuff and connecting it to the church, connecting it to the gospel, uh, and just exploring stuff Hmm. and generally sarcasm and crazy comments.
0: Hmm. Kylie, you're up. You're you're the only other person.
2: Okay, I was you know, waiting for my cue, okay. Um, (laughs) I'm Kylie Palpin, um, I am currently a student in, um, my master's at the University of St. Andrews, studying English literature in the modern and contemporary age. Um, I love books, I love creativity, I love art, and I love talking about all of it in the context of faith, um, and when I'm not talking about that, I'm usually outside or rock climbing, which is my other passion in life, um. And I love talking about all of it. And I love doing it with sarcasm and fun and deep conversations.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Have you been rock climbing recently? Like, is there places to climb around where you're at right now? Yes. Okay, nice.
2: Um, I got really desperate and started climbing outside in Spokane um, without any boulder pads, which because I don't own them. Uh, which Mm. you just kind of have to go sideways on rock, Mm. which was really desperate. Sounds very irresponsible. But then the rock climbing gym opened up. Oh. Yeah. Well, I did it in a responsible way. (laughs) Min. um, I was safe. Uh, and then the rock climbing gym in Spokane opened up. And since then my, uh, mental health has been much better and I haven't been risking my life on outdoor rocks anymore. Wow.
0: Okay. Okay. Kylie, I have seen you climb. You're a great climber and I'm glad that you're able to do that. Yeah, this is gonna be fun. Um, I was thinking of let's let, let's set up kind of the context of this podcast. I wanted to uh, share a clip of um of a anti right talk.
3: Again, in the 18th and 19th century, they thought as then still Reagan and people were thinking, or Nixon was thinking things are getting better so much faster that we just have to keep on this train and we'll get to utopia um, remarkably quickly. And we now realize that that ain't necessarily so. The opposite of that was uh, a Christian negativity towards progress which said, Um, yeah, the world's a mess, but there's nothing we can do about it till Jesus returns, so we're just going to sit back, say our prayers, and wait for a Big Bang, an Armageddon, or whatever. And a lot of Christians still take exactly that view, that it's actually wrong to try to make improvements in the world. It's not just that they don't like this or that or the other scientific innovation. They say we shouldn't be making any improvements in the world because... Um, Jesus is going to do all that when he comes back, and it would be arrogant of us to try and preempt that, which is rather like the old Marxist argument that you shouldn't put up the workers' wages because it'll only delay the revolution, you know, that actually, let's, let's bring it on, bring on the Second Coming by not doing anything now. And it seems to me a proper vision of Christian hope would be considerably more modest on the one hand than the optimism of the Enlightenment. In other words, actually... The kingdom of God has been launched, but the way it happens is not by our arrogant technology, but through our service to one another, through our service to the poor, through our medicine, and that's where the two systems might actually overlap a bit, um, through our teaching, through our education, and those have always been great Christian dreams. And not that we can create utopia here, so that's the pulling back from the arrogance of the enlightenment to a more modest thing, but to say that there is stuff we can do
0: all right, initial reactions to what we just watched.
3: That,
1: like, that kind of is like my love language, I think, maybe at that point. Like the idea of kind of avoiding the two extremes and, and, and following that, that middle position that mm-hmm. doesn't go to one extreme or the other. Recognize that we have the ability to do a lot of good, mm-hmm. but um, we don't have the ultimate ability. We're not the king, Christ is
2: yeah I mean I think that's exactly how I've been trying to think about the church and all these things that we've already brought up that there's all these extremes all the time that I think we're all encountering especially right now and so I think the goal and the key to all of this is figuring out what is that middle ground and how do you find the conservative side of one and the extreme side of the other and get a middle ground that's actually progressing the kingdom of God while also um, keeping in mind the past and um, the role of Christ in all of this.
1: Isn't like art such an important part of that where like art lives in the boundary. So it's like going to take you back and forth and you're like, Oh, that's uncomfortable. But, but it like, it sort of does that does like it lives in the boundary and it moves you beyond those things. So I feel like that's an important part of Maybe on the other side is like technology, which kind of pushes that, Mm -hmm. boundary but i think maybe we need to explore those things
0: yeah i think often uh where the majority of let's say like the church uh centers are in two nodes the two extremes actually Uh, we think that those are like uh, the fringes they're not they're actually home bases for every like season of the church or in church history and i think um like jesus when he was on earth Jesus was on the fringes, you know, and it's actually, uh, in our language, we have this built in of like Christ centeredness. And as a semiotician, I push back against that idea because I think Jesus is also on the outskirts, the fringes. And that's, I wanted to show that clip because that's actually what, uh, this podcast is all about. It's, it's, it's semiotics is this idea of utilizing and looking back on the past to understand what's happening in the world through signs. And to look where we're going, and looking back and looking forward, is kind of like a fringe activity. Um, it's this idea of like, man, there's stuff that are that is coming up, and yet we're we're comfortable where we're where we're at, but we need to move because things are changing. And uh, the last thing I'll say is like, I I, I love how N.T. right kind of articulates the problem. I think that that this podcast wants to. Address or at least contribute answers to, which is in an age of uh, fragmentation, as well as like just a lot of competing voices. the The uh, purpose of doing good often gets lost. Uh, that that purpose gets betrayed by like which camp are you in, or you know which political bend you have. And I think this is a podcast that embodies a pushback against that. And a return to the church's prime directive. And so that's where we begin.
1: Yeah, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna like change my church. State. We're gonna be a Christ fringy church. Yeah, yeah. yeah like why not? <laughs> get T shirts. I, <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, yeah, you could you could look at that like look at where yeah, where I live. It's it's
0: yeah, that would be that'd be fitting. It'd be perfect. I mean, flogging people like, what are you talking about? Right. Flogging people in the temple. Turning over tables—is that a fringe activity or is that a like a temple-centered activity? You know what I mean. Like it's a, <laughs> and so as we think about uh, following our Lord and uh, and understanding how his life and his principle, his life and death and the work that he did, how does that translate to twenty twenty one? That's one of the questions that I'm wondering about.
2: Um, I this is more it's connected to what we were talking about, but I was having a conversation actually in one of my classes the other day about what it means to be contemporary. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing that we read about was this idea that to be present or to be contemporary is actually an ability to, um, you're actually usually viewed as um, on the fringe or unwelcome um, because you are both very forward thinking and very past thinking. And therefore, you're able to see the present even clearer than everyone else who's in it. Um, so you think about like fashion trends, the ones who are ahead of the trend are usually referencing things that have been popular in the past mm-hmm. and are very future oriented. Yeah. But they're not really relevant to, or people just don't wear those things mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. They're on the fringes of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's an interesting thing to bring into this that
0: yeah,
2: yeah. we're going to be on the fringes, it means referencing both of those things.
0: Yeah, I, I think what you're talking about when, when you're bringing up fashion, it reminds me of a documentary that I loved. It's one of my favorite documentaries of all time. It's about the life of Bill Cunningham. He was uh, He's one of like the fathers of modern street photography for fashion. He lived in New York City. Mm-hmm. Stephen, I think you saw this, I don't know if you saw yeah. this with mm-hmm. me. Yeah, yeah, I love that one. But um, a really fascinating life, but that's what he practiced. He in some ways was a semiotician of fashion. And so he had this, this um, picture-perfect memory about what has already occurred in fashion. And I rem- one of my favorite parts in that documentary is, is him literally calling out like a really, really famous uh, luxury brand for literally just like plagiarizing and copying uh, like something that, that happened 40 years ago. Like literally the, 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 the dress was, every inch of it was the same and uh it it, it kind of like made it so like uh the brand thought that they could just kind of slip that in like at their own original thing and so bill cunningham comes in and is like no i've seen that 40 years ago you're basically just stealing it you haven't improved on it or anything like that and i think that's the spirit that uh that we as semioticians we're all unofficial semioticians here that we just need to kind of either like embrace and like ultimately yeah it comes with challenges because people People don't want to be called out people don't want to be don't don't want to hear that but that's actually what we do we look in the past we also look into the future and and that kylie i think you said that really well it gives actually us a really good uh look on the present in fact i would say in order to understand what's happening in the present you got to be able to look in the past in the future okay so i we each of us is bringing a an idea to the table and the one that i thought of is a historical one and I think it kind of creates the backbone of a lot of what we talk about on the inevitable church pod, um, the inevitable church podcast. I'm going to edit that out. The inevitable church podcast, and it's uh, it's it's the printing press, the the Johannes Gutenberg printing press that was invented in the 15th century. And I, I, you know, I want to. This is not a history lesson, but it's this idea of for the last 500 years, we've been in an era of print, of literacy, of sharing and communicating information through books and through print. And I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on, uh, like, uh, on this, and I, I really want your opinions, and you can kind of push back in different areas. But I would say that we are coming to the tail end of what I would call a 500-year reign of print. And what I mean by that is not that books are going away or anything like that, but... The monumental effect that the printing press ultimately had on the world, not just in Europe, but across the whole world, and how it's shaped how we talk, how we think, how we learn, all these things, um, is something that we should investigate more as we think about the future, kind of going back to that same principle that we just talked about. But the Gutenberg Printing Press, um, as it relates to this podcast and what we're talking about today, ultimately led a person named Martin Luther to create you know, the 95 Theses, a famous document that criticized the church for different things like indulgences and just like church structure and authority and and kind of uh, brought to light possibly some of the distortions that the church was, you know, inherently adopting into its systems and processes and things like that. And Martin Luther is considered one of the uh, one of the first best-selling authors. His, his writings, his, his theses, uh, the power of the theses was not just the content, but the fact that it could be distributed so quickly. So people in England were reading this like a week or two after it was nailed, and ultimately it led to the Protestant Reformation, which all three of us have some, some sort of entwining with Protestant Christianity. And so why is this like an important um, beginning to kind of frame what the future of the church will look like? Well, I, one of the things that I'm researching, and one of the things that I would argue for is that now we're entering into another network revolution. So the printing press actually created a network revolution, meaning how people connect to each other uh, is fundamentally changed. Back then, 500 years ago, it's from oral to written culture. And now we're moving towards from a written culture to a digital landscape environment. And if we look back and see what happened during uh, those years, 500 years ago, the church lost power, people fragmented, beliefs, different confessions of all different kinds rose up, just a lot of chaos and a lot of violence and a lot of arguing, a lot of polarization, kind of like what we're experiencing today. So what? what I
1: hear you saying is we're going to be like, soon we'll be burning each other at the stake and like <laughs> oh my drowning each other in lakes. And
0: oh, and that's already happening. I'm
1: like, yeah, I'll get to rule Geneva.
0: Yeah. We think we're more civil, but I think in some ways that's already happening. Maybe it's not a literal burning, Stephen, although that does happen in the world today still. But yeah, we are we are vitriolic. We are stressed out. And yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on that? so twitter is now like the new you get burned at the stake
1: like it's like okay cancel evaluate you we throw you out there cancel culture you get ripped up and down yep i think it's a fascinating thing to look at how that technology reframed the theology in the church the centrality of the church as a frame for this moment and things like that like how we interpret how we understand how we as Christians interact with each other on Twitter. Like we would sit here and be like, oh, you know, like I was doing like John Calvin and, you know, uh, all the burning people at the stake and we're so much better than that. But then like, do we assess that? Am I sitting here doing that? Like, as I literally like excoriate somebody on Twitter and like burn, you know, like that's literally the word we use for it. While sitting here like, oh, but I'm so much better than those people. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. To look at those things because it sh- it sheds that light on like, we're not like that. Well, maybe we are more like that than we would, comfortable hearing.
2: I was going to say, I think I was talking about this the other day. I think this, um, like when we're experiencing, um, you know, cancel culture or the chaos that is Twitter or all of these different things that are happening all the time. um, I think it's really easy to see that as its own isolated event because we're living it. It feels so huge because we're in it right now, but it's really also important to see it as um the way the history goes you know that this happens again and again and again and i think min you're right this is kind of we're experiencing a similar kind of uh change in technology a similar kind of reaction to the way that words are used or um, information is spread and um i think having that historical um vision is really helpful because then you're able to look at that and First of all, not be like, oh, we're better than them, um, or worse than them, um, but be able to s- see the similarities and then react, um, knowing what it, it, knowing what it's like because we've seen it happen before.
0: Yeah, I have such a positive view of technology, and some of it comes from studying this stuff and realizing like the potential of it. And I want to give you a couple, I mean, so when you look at it historically, the printing press, when was it invented? It was like 1460 or something like that. Martin Luther, uh, you know, nailed his, his little document there in 1517. So it takes like 57 years for that to happen. Right. And there's other things going on during that century, which is like the scientific revolution and all these other things. I think we're in we're in a period that's in between the fourteen sixty and fifteen seventeen kind of it's 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 that kind of feel. And so when we look at what's happening on Twitter, when we're looking at what happens when when fake news and all this other stuff is happening, we're just in the chaos of like working through like the bugs and the kinks of like how this technology is going to be integrated into our life. And I think the so main thing, like
1: are you said yeah, like, yeah. so you said, like so we're in the time before, yeah. Before Martin Luther, so like the technology exists, but it hasn't. You're saying is it hasn't really been harnessed, right? To the point, because I would look at it and naturally think of it as like we're at the point where the technology has existed, and now we're seeing that shift. Like, yeah, like the revolution has taken place. It hasn't fallen out yet. So, like what Kylie is saying is it's it's kind of this crazy thing. And I think if we had lived through the Protestant Reformation, you would kind of feel that way. You wouldn't be like, yay. it's like they wouldn't even call it the Protestant Reformation. Right? You have to have <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That yeah, view. Yeah. we'd all be like what the heck is going on? Like everything is falling apart. Like, you know, this must be the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I find that interesting. Like why, like what your perspective on that would be like, so you think that this is going to be like the, the technology hasn't quite been harnessed yet Yeah. to that full effect.
0: Well, the reason why I say that is because I think there is a giant, there's a bigger leap. That's ha- that's going to happen. Like yesterday I saw on social media, like in LA, they're, they're literally distribute uh, like they're distributing like shipping think containers that can like, like self drive itself like it's like on the sidewalks. Uh you know, Boston Mechanics have has their like yellow dog that's gonna be like we're all gonna be like carrying robotic dogs as purses. You know what I mean? That's gonna be the new we and- you're not
1: gonna carry me? <laughs> that's I wanna like I wanna be carried yeah. in the like
0: No this isn't Wally. This all isn't it. Wally bro. Not yet. Oh, oh. Dang it. But my point is that when you focus it on the church, though, I think that like we're still living in an age where we're trying to here's what's happening. We're trying to fit our mastered literacy like way of thinking and then impose it on the Internet. And the Internet is basically saying, oh, you we're just getting started like this is we're going to be doing things completely different, like the way that you get information yeah, it's, it's on a feed and, you're, and you're, you get to select that feed, but soon enough, things are going to become a little bit more like Alice in Wonderland-like. And so I'm saying there's, there's a giant leap ahead of us and that's when it's going like to really become like, oh, we're going to split from the past. Kind of like how the Protestant Reformation split in the mid 16th century, right? And then on top of that, obviously, like when we think about the Catholic Church, they did a counter-reformation kind of thing right on that end too. And it kind of goes into the next topic that we're going to be talking about, which is art. The counter-reformation was a drawback to the arts and a way for people to experience Christ that wasn't so empirical, that wasn't so rational. And I think that's an important thing that we need to talk through, which is what uh, we've grown up in this era where we've been experiencing a faith and we think it's the totality of it. Like we're, us modern people, we think we have a bigger view of faith development. But what if it's as narrow as it has ever been? And now we're entering into a new way to experience the spirit of God and ultimately know who Jesus is. And so, I, yeah, like that's kind of where I'm thinking we are. And I, I mean, in some ways I could be wrong, but like it's it's funny to me how negative we are towards technology technology as a, as a thing that demotivates us to seek spirituality, or it's a, it's a, it's a stumbling block to our spiritual growth and stuff like that. That's how, that's how like the church and not just like random churches, but I feel like the prominent voices, that's how they talk about it.
2: Um, man, I'm curious. I'm okay. I'm just adding this onto your theory, yep. possibly adjusting a little bit. I'm wondering if, um, and I don't know if this is what happened in, during the printing press, but I think my impression is that, you know, you have this big technology pop-up mm-hmm. printing press um, or uh, Twitter, for example, mm-hmm. you know, social media. Um, it seems like the church is almost like slower to get onto that movement than everyone else, partially because we we do have a lot of, you know, our history rooted in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... Uh, the rest of culture as a whole uh, tends to be more uh, excited about that kind of progress and hop on it faster and use it faster. So I'm wondering if instead of it being like, we're still waiting for the technological movement, maybe it's just we're waiting for the Martin Luther, you know, someone in the church who's going to take that technology and transform the church as a result, because the rest of the rest of culture, the rest of society is very much already kind of transforming and changing and then pushing against the church as a result. No. But we have yet to really have like a church figure who's going to step up and be like, I'm going to use this technology to completely shake your worlds in faith. You know,
0: I think that's exactly right, Kylie. I, w- I would agree with that. And um, yeah, like, I think, I think that's what I'm, that's what I want to focus on, which is it's like, keep in mind before uh, 1460 printing existed. You know what I mean? But it but people are trying to still live in an oral world. But the printing press comes and makes print uh just the, the bar to print, the bar to have books, print books so much easier. We already have AI. We already have some of the things that are that we think are like, you know, sci fi on the horizon. That's that already exists. But you're right. We need like a catalyst, either an individual, kind of like an Elon Musk figure. In the church world, maybe that's not the best example. A Christian um, Elon, a Musk. Christian Elon Musk. You know what I mean? Like that would be, um, and Going I think to Mars. <laughs> but like it's 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 like okay, could you? Put, I mean, let's be silly for a second. Like what would that look like? You know, like Elon Musk invented um, a really good uh, financial, financially viable way to make electric cars. But what, what about the church do we, maybe we can like expose maybe like our own preferences right now. Like, can you think of a virtual church that wouldn't just be like disgusting in your mind of like, oh my gosh, that's just such a, that's, that, that, you know, there's a physicality and a presence involved with church community. But what if like we can utilize virtual technology to somehow enhance what the church can do? in local contexts and stuff like that. You know what I mean? That's kind of what I'm I thought about. I
1: was just going to get, like, buy a robot to hand out the bulletins. <laughs> like, isn't that...
2: That would uh, make it so much easier. Yeah. You don't have yeah. to hire people to welcome people anymore. It's like paradigm shifting. Ah. Oh. Yeah, and like, robot that's... Robot entry people.
0: That's exactly the point. Like, we... we you want to impose, like, what's happening in the future on, like, things that are, like, so trivial, like, passing out paper. <laughs> and I think that's an interesting... That's an interesting thing, but what what if we could uh spend some time thinking about man, there are some fundamental things that we can like literally um push to at, to as menial, you know what I mean? Like what is something that is just like so grueling and so such toil today that in the future it's going to become very menial, you know what I mean? Like flushing a toilet. Do you guys remember what flushing the toilet would have been like 200 years ago? What would it be like to cover your own, you know, waste? What did that look like? But the sewage system came in, and we couldn't imagine a church today not having bathrooms, right? You would just not—forget parking lots. You would not go to a church that did not have sanitation. But, um, you know, sanitation used to be a human job. Does that make sense? So I'm, like, thinking that way. In a little bit, anyway. Yeah, I
1: think it's. I mean, I think it's a great comparison. One of the things that I think about in this conversation is like, I think that's true. But in some ways, the paradigm is reversed because, as Martin Luther is, you know, exploiting this technology, the church is the dominant culture, right? And so it's kind of like that. Who's going to be like the Elon Musk of the church? Like Elon Musk is actually the Elon Musk of the church <laughs> because the church is not the dominant culture. Yeah. So it's kind mm. of it's kind of different. I mean, I think that's part of why like. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think Martin Luther sitting here like, Oh, I can use this technology Mm -hmm. to reform the church. Like he's addressing that because that was the dominant culture, Mm -hmm. which is essentially, I think what Elon Musk is doing. So it doesn't change the point, but it does change the relationship that the church has today with the broader society, because we're like functioning within it, but alongside it, not as it was the case in Europe, as kind of a huge part of the dominant culture. We're working within a secular culture. So uh, that's just a thought in my head. Like, I don't know how that changes the dynamic, but there is something to that, that maybe is part of the reason why the church is kind of usually reacting today. And, and part of the reason why we could come up with it. And I think, I think it would be right for us to say, how, how, how do we become the Elon Musk of the church? Right. Mm -hmm. Because we can take that from that, that dominant perspective. So that's one thing that I just think about how it's kind of flipped because In that time, they were working under that paradigm. We're not in that paradigm. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a secular culture. The business world, that kind of stuff is the dominant culture.
2: Which in some ways, I wonder if that's going to make it, that's what's making it so hard to, I don't know, have an Elon Musk because we, I think the church ends up becoming, in very generalized terms, um, because it's not the dominant culture, it begins to see itself as like the, I don't even know how to say it, the, um, the one to battle dominant culture. Um, but instead of taking over dominant culture and becoming the thing that's shaping culture, you end up just fighting against it, um, which I think is where you get what we're talking about, where you have the one extreme that says, looks at all this progress and says oh that's dominant culture we'll fight against that instead of using it um you know like you get online churches today and instead of i think there's a lot of potential to see what what is the good that can come out of this how do we have to creatively transform worship because of this um but there's also the response of this is not okay let's go back to what we have yeah um because we're not the dominant culture, and so I wonder, you know, how do we one embrace some of those changes, and two become a church that's actually shaping the dominant culture and not just having to fight it or conform to it.
0: My last thought on this, as we move on to the next topic, is when I think about uh, what the effects of the Protestant Reformation was, um, its its explosion and its success. I think it's in some ways. Um, a validation of it actually, like Martin Luther wrote about actual needs, like there was communities that uh, were being, um, uh, you know, basically taken advantage of because of this, the different distortions that the Catholic Church was doing. And in some ways, there's real, tangible, tacit things that uh, the reshaping and the revitalization of, uh, of that framework that Martin Luther kind of established did to European society as a whole. I'm thinking that um, something like that will, can, and, and, you know, God willing will happen in American church. Uh, Stephen, you kind of already brought it up. Like we're in a secular, like post-Christian culture, but if, if the church is real and, and is true and what, and Jesus Christ works through the church, then um, the slowly uh, disintegrating, like, like a ch- uh, church, like structures in our culture are gonna leave room for something new. And I think part of that is understanding how different tech and different things are going to change how people communicate and connect and build communities and all these things. That's kind of like my last thought. Any, any last thoughts about this topic?
1: I think about it, again, kind of like I said before, the idea of art is yeah. maybe the way, mm-hmm. like the blending of art and technology of the way for the church to do those things. Mm-hmm because the technology getting crazy is not like, uh, as you said, you have optimism toward it. It's, it. We tend to be like negative. We're gonna use this to fight the culture, but it has in it um, potential, great potential change. Like you said, change European society, but unintended consequences, a bunch of people get burned at the stake. Right. But we can perhaps, we can uh, use or utilize um, through art, a way of not fighting the technological changes and also not just embracing them wholeheartedly uh, without any kind of um, without any kind of uh, introspection but a way of navigating that boundary and working in that boundary area so i I wonder if that's maybe is is part of that because because that's where art is it's not like an it's not it, it can't be it can't be implicitly for or against it can't just be like a utilitarian tool right so by the way i
0: wondered, like maybe that's the way it connects that's like the most brilliant segue ever into our second topic which is coming right after this
2: i am really interested in uh art as a whole which we've, we've talked about already um and its interaction with worship and i think i was kind of looking at just looking at the history of art in general i'm talking about physical art just as an example. You have things like iconography um, in the past, which has been kind of a way of art engaging with worship and with Christ. Um, But I think as you look at how art has uh, transformed, you get into this kind of where we're living right now, which is a very postmodern or modern uh, era of art. And I think I'm really interested in how that transformation in the way that art has been created affects or um, perhaps challenges or changes the way that worship happens and how worship uh, changes and affects art. Um, Because I think looking at modern and postmodern art, you have a transformation in how um, the things that you put on paper or um, canvas, both writing and paintings, um, become a way of critiquing the world without having a whole lot of depth to them. Um, so postmodernism has kind of been viewed as a, a very flat thing. We um, have like the Picasso's and the um, things like that, where it's just very flat, and you can feel a critique of the present, but without much of a vision for the future, um, or without much depth. And I think I'm just curious how that transformation Um, changes the way that we see art affecting worship. um, And then how maybe the church can enter into the creative arts or use them in a way that can transform or uh, reflect or direct um, art as a whole and the way that it affects culture. That was kind of a lot. But um, I think just looking at modern art and modern creativity and then how it interacts with the church and worship. Especially online worship.
1: That's a great question. Yeah. Great like inquiry. Yeah. And I I we were talking about, you know, just these kind of segments together, but like why I, I think about that, like historically, like why is the Protestant church so like we have such a fearful relationship with art? Like mm-hmm. why is that? Like what is it about it that that gives us that allergy to it?
2: mm-hmm
0: yeah I, thoughts. I, I rem, okay so i i've heard from other like a, a specific person i mm. won't name names or anything like that but like prominent denominations if they found out that you're right-brained you're you're immediately like not going to get any sort of leadership position in those denominations like and i'm pretty sure it's the right brain that's considered the creative aspect of it right i'm not saying that wrong but yeah, like I think that's correct. Yeah, but I mean, it also lends to this whole idea of like, you know, going back to what we we're talking about in the last section, um, what has been favored over the last centuries have been like just like an empirical mind, a really rational mind. Like uh, you know, the dynamics of rationalism and uh, being able to like reason out things, that has always been like valued. And I think it's it's come to like a pinnacle. Like we've kind of that's how we've built everything, how we learn, how we engage. Uh, in science and research and things like that. And let me talk about two things. So N.T. Wright, um, when he he talks about art, he talks about how it's connected to justice, which is a fascinating thing. And and we need to dive into that more. Art, for some reason, has a affinity for justice, right? And then I just read uh, Makoto Fujimura's latest book that was just released at the beginning of January. And he closely connects art to mercy all right and so if you dive into that book um it really highlights this idea of like what does care and cultivation in this world actually look like it's actually actually works works towards justice and mercy and so um i think that in some ways maybe as a generation and maybe as a modern society this is where our achilles heel uh heel is we actually are really bad at identifying how to bring justice and mercy into the world, and maybe a big reason for that is our um, illiteracy and understanding of of art. That's one thought I had. And now,
1: now Kylie's made it a trifecta because she connected art and worship. Yeah. So we have the we have a we have a trinity there. Yeah. It's fascinating <laughs> to me, Mindy, that you use the word illiteracy. Mm-hmm. Given the topic that we were just that we, has, <laughs> we're doing these two things together, like yeah. what? So what is so is, so is that what like does the digital revolution that does it give us? Does it move us toward a type of literacy in terms of creating and recreating and merging ideas and exploring ideas yeah. that allows the broader church to embrace art the yeah. way that essentially the, the the printing press revolution allowed the church lay people to embrace. Yeah, scriptural theology. I mean, it, what does that look like? So is that is that what it takes? Another. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, can you imagine I'm, like what what is like what does a, a pre-visco pre Instagram filter, uh, world do for people who want to understand color and how that interacts? You know what I mean? It's like that. Like we all are digital artists in the sense of like you know when you're even, when you're just like doing a selfie of your of yourself or like p- posting a picture of your. Like you're already doing things like composition and photography and like, we are looking, we're, we're reading in images. And I think that's the bridge that I'm saying. It's a terrible metaphor because it goes against what I'm saying, but you know what I mean? That's, that's where I start yeah. with it.
1: But the object, so, so there the implicit object is self yeah, and it's like, those are icons. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So it's like, like icons <laughs> of me and what I'm trying to project. But so. I'm fascinated by this, Kylie. Like, how how do you see it? Like, so how does that work? How do I like Instagram God? Like, how do I do yeah. that as worship? Because I don't think it's just that I'm out of it. Because human being, like we yeah. were image of God. But well, how how does that work? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I was just um, trying to break this down in my head. If we look at the church, you know, and, you know, when iconography, which it's still happening, but you know, when it was at its kind of height. I think the church had two two different relationships with art. One, um, there were consumers of it. So you have iconography all over the walls, all over the churches. You have cathedrals that are just filled with it. Um, so they're consuming this art. They're also some of the forefront creators of art. Um, so some of the, the best artists in, in history have been Christians. They've been because they were um, told to by the church or that, you know, Pope told them to do this. Um, and so I think that's kind of the framework that I'm thinking about, um, today, like how should the church, because you have the self that's consuming and creating, you know, selfies or icons of us. Um, so how does the church, um, consume art as a reflection of God and perhaps as part of worship, um, and also create art out of that worship? if that makes sense, and not just as a reflection of the self, but as a reflection of the church as a whole and of God.
1: And isn't there a kind of like, there's the, the the internet revolution is democratizing. So men, like you were saying, like, oh, in this denomination, Mm -hmm. if if you're like more artistic, you can't get in. Well, too bad. Like, you can't say to Martin Luther, sorry, you can't let people know this anymore, because you can. Mm -hmm. So like, is, is there a kind of democratization going on to that, where that blends that boundary a little bit between mm. creator and consumer like aren't we all kind of all in that and that that isn't to say of course there are people like who are just who are more artistic like they're artists mm-hmm. that's what we call them people are artistic and people who aren't mm-hmm. but but i feel like it, it's that same kind of paradigm like we don't just hire like okay let's hire a church artist mm-hmm. like that's the old paradigm the new paradigm is like we're all doing this so we need to have like a church artist discipler Right to like help us be make because oh that's what we're doing all the time. Like to, so that my Instagram photo is not like glorifying me, but it's
0: glorifying God. Yeah, there's yeah. whatever for me when I think about future churches. Uh, you know, let's talk about the inevitable church. <laughs> Literally, I, I I do think that like the beginning of churches or like church plants and stuff like that, uh, they'll have to address this. Which is, I think, the first step forward isn't necessarily um, like marketing the church but creating an artistic culture meaning you got to trade in those office spaces you got to trade in those bookshelves for studio space like i think the 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 way in the way that a church becomes more rooted in a community moving forward is through the visual mediums through the artistic mediums through the social media mediums and the reason why i say that is because i see the same thing going on as what would have happened in the 15th century or the 16th century, books became cheaper, so it gave this vacuum of like, well, most people are illiterate at this point, so it, it started this transition of like now it's actually advantageous to read, and 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 have books and and you know like that's what's happening now. Like uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, the major networks like NBC, ABC. You know they're producing TV shows, but now on YouTube you can create your own TV shows that mm-hmm. get picked up on Netflix. That's what Cobra Kai was. Cobra Kai was a YouTube TV show before it became a Netflix TV show. It's one of my favorite shows so far right now um, in in the past couple of years. But my point is, uh, the democratization of the technology is now making everyone uh, not necessarily the artist in like the classical sense. Like not everyone has to have a vocation to to do to create art. But now we're all creators, and it's now not an option. That's what—that's my point. You, uh, it, whether if you utilize technology in any form, you are now a curator at the very minimum. You're bringing in different things, and and I think on a basic level, we're all basically evangelizing, well or poorly, based on the posts that we create. Now. Let me say one more thing. Which, yeah, so.
1: like evangel, like what are we evangelizing? Exactly, that's my point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I mm-hmm. and
0: I've been living in this world for like the last five or seven years, and I would say to your to your question, Kylie, like I think we become less consumeristic if we continue to adopt the discipline of creating. So I yeah. see a, yeah. I see creation or the act of making uh, a theology of making becoming a way forward for mm-hmm. modern discipleship. That goes way beyond just read your Bible, just pray, just show up to church. Mm-hmm. By the way, when you only make discipleship about those things or make those things the most important things, you're already creating consumeristic disciples. You're not mm-hmm. creating actual disciples that are going to make disciples because that I thought that's what discipleship was all about. You're supposed to make disciples that make disciples. But we think that all we need to do is get people to open the book and get on its knees. And I'm thinking now we need a whole new plethora of skill sets because everything is on your phone. You can create a nonprofit on your phone. You can do a crowdsourcing thing on your phone. You can start a business on your phone. Everything is so much easier, easier to access and to actually actualize that I think it's almost unavoidable that the church ultimately has a framework for these things as well in the future.
2: I think, and I think that's a really good point, and I think it's why, um, you know, having not just individuals um, focused on creating, but the church have a vision, a theology of making, a vision for art and the world, I think is really important. And I think it's how, in some ways, going back to what we were talking about earlier, the church can begin to be uh, shapers of the dominant culture, rather than just followers or fighters. Um, because I think art is art is what shapes that you know Um, and I think you just have to figure out the right ways to use art in that way because I think there's also the question of I think a lot of you know when you're entering into this um, you have pastors who just sort of adopt what they think is trending um, you know creating their own memes or creating their own right so you know which ends up actually falling flat Mm -hmm. instead of Um, actually using art to create new things. You're just trying to copy and paste to hopefully fit in. And I think that's an important difference too that in the theology of making in this modern world, Mm -hmm. you have to be shaping and pushing it forward rather than just copy and pasting it.
1: I see that in a way that makes you, like it's gonna make you seem weird like you were saying before. Yeah, exactly. Like you're you're busy on the past, but you're ahead of your contemporary, you're ahead in the future. And so people Mm -hmm. are kind of like, nobody's doing this. But then they turn around, they're like, oh, this was actually the, the very moment, like the thing. Because that's how yeah. that's artists are, right? If, if, like the, the cutting edge, the person who's doing something that nobody's ever done before mm-hmm. that like fits for the time. And, and yeah, and I think that's what we, what we need, that theology of making both as leaders to understand that that's what we should be doing, but also mm-hmm. for everybody, because we are all doing it in some sense mm-hmm. to greater or lesser extent, whether it's formal, creation of art sculpture whether it's just your social media feeds or even like and in social media like it can be like the text chat that you have with your family like that you're sharing Mm -hmm. pictures on and stuff like that is a way of making that's a way of shaping so everybody's doing it
0: but it's also about uh breaking some bad habits and i want to go on just a two-second rant here Mm -hmm. stop posting pictures of your kids no one cares no one cares And if you want your social media to just be about your parenting and you just want to share that with your close relatives, just make it private. Unfriend me. Like I don't, when, when you get to your thirties, for some reason you lose all your friends and then you just, you just get these new friends and these new friends are just your, your, your friends' kids. And like, I'm like, I don't care. And can I be just the first loving Christian to say, no one cares about your kids? the way that you do, please said stop po- Send the pictures to your parents. Yeah. 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 There's, Put them there's in the
2: group there's chat. Siblings.
0: Yeah. There's group chats. There's WhatsApp. There's all these different ways to do that. Don't, you know, you don't get to like, yeah. And that's my point. Like I think what we need to do is we need to realize that social media is a dialogue and a community and not just like your little platform to just monologue about your life. Yeah. That's, that's my rant. <laughs>
1: That's ironic because on on my family group chat, I just asked my sister to post. I'm like, do you have any new pictures? Uh, I see. A, yeah. A baby yeah. who was, uh, yeah, he was born right after Christmas. So I'm like, uh, but this is like our family, you know, yeah. it's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. That's what it's not just chats all for. of Facebook. Here, here's baby the- Maybe people don't have that. Like they don't know. they just like, they, they haven't learned. Like they haven't learned that my... they have like a family group chat. They just oh, have Facebook.
0: Man. I mean, they have- And like, we're all on it. This lesson hasn't happened yet, but as a semiotician, this is the lesson that a lot of parents are going to learn in the next five, 10 years. When you post pictures of your kids without their consent, some of them are going to come back and really be like, why did you post naked pictures of me? It's all I'd over the internet. You. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. They're
1: going to sue you, especially if you're yeah. a bad parent and they don't like you. They're going to go and get a law degree and be like, you know what?
0: Yeah. yeah. You, you got to get money for this. You got to see the implications of what we're doing. And this is what we're doing. Like this, When we're talking about the inevitable church, we're trying to understand the implications of the things that we're doing today. I mean, think about the audacity of the church, the church that has come out of Christendom, how disorienting the church is like, like, why won't people just like, you know, like fall in line? Like we know the truth, you know, and, and, and everything that we've talked about, there's this great disconnect that we are just not self-aware enough to like realize. And I think art is actually the bridge the reason why people can't hear and it like like christian theology the way that it's been propagated the last 100 years is not palatable anymore and it's not because the truth is any less true it's because we have forgotten that the truth is a person it's you know it's it's yeah. it's actually not a, a set of laws or a set of of um proverbs but it's it's actually a person and we need to we need to like learn that this person is living and active and moving and moving. He's on the internet. Jesus is on the internet. And like, I think that's we a, need to like think, think about that a little bit more. That's
1: a, actually like a perfect segue to what I wanted to introduce. Please you want to go Let's in that do direction. It. It's going to seem like kind of a non sequitur at first, but I think I can tie it together. So it's the question of how this goes together is like something that nobody ever thought. I don't think ever thought of really before until the pandemic. And we can't meet together. And that is the question of, uh the lord's table eucharist communion whatever your tradition calls it and how do we do that when we can't be together like can you do it online Mm -hmm. like can you do it mediated do we all just like sit and stare at a screen and have our own (laughs) wine and like our own saltine crackers or whatever it is yeah and we have to do how do we how do we do that like how do we answer Mm -hmm. that question yeah and the reason i want to bring that up one because like we had to as a pastor i had to wrestle through it but because I want to introduce something that to me answers the question, kind of in that you were talking about. Um, and this is because this is the pilot, I want to bring it up because I know I'm going to reference it like I know myself. If I make it past the pilot to the first episode, <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> You and you're like, ah, oh, who is that guy? Remember him from the pilot? He disappeared. <laughs> By the way, you didn't uh, test uh, well with audience, hold on, hold on. right? Exactly, they were like, it was good, but that
0: you guys have so already awesome. made it. There was like, I was, I think it was like the 33rd minute. You guys all made it. So don't oh, worry good. about that. All right, yeah.
1: now I can be the real me. But <laughs> it, it, the idea, what I want to bring up is the idea, something that just always sticks in my mind, which is what I call uh, Chesterton's fence, mm-hmm. which G.K. Chesterton. He wrote about this in his book, Orthodoxy, that if you have a fence and it's white, you get the white picket fence, right? And you want it to be a white picket fence. But over time, the paint falls off, it gets chipped off. And so, you come to this and you're like the fence needs fixing and you have an option. You basically just say, no, we're not gonna touch it because the fence is sacred. Or you can say, well, white didn't work. Let's try black, let's try blue, let's try red. And you repaint it. But the, the, the crux of it is this issue of um, understanding what is renewing. So the fence always, ha- you want it to be white, but it always needs to be repainted. So you renew those old things. And I bring that to the question of what does it look like? Something that you know, that's essential, the Eucharist, but how does it look in an online age? So thinking through that, what is the form of it that can be renewed, that can be done in the form, can be done in a different way, but the substance the same. And, and so that's just a helpful like rubric for me always thinking about that things can be renewed. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in future future podcasts but i i do want to just kind of see what you guys in terms of your context how that played out in terms of that very specific question so what is how do we renew that very central idea of coming to the lord's table in that way so what did you guys do like can we do it online or no do we have to be physically present how does that work out
2: yeah so i at least in my personal experience i experienced two different versions of this because i um have attended two different churches over the course of the whole lockdown um and both of them uh had the uh, belief that the eucharist couldn't be served um virtually but um the first church which is actually the church that min attends um is anglican and um when it was virtual, we said uh, a prayer that um, those who you know were, are in the military or things like that who can't come to the table, um, there's a prayer that you say that says, let me join in with those who are able to take it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, the second church I did, uh, it was actually motivation to come back in person um, and honestly breaking some rules because of it because they felt that it was so important to have communion in person that that was the reason you couldn't have church online. That's why online church doesn't work is because communion can't happen when you're online. So those are two different, two different responses. Um, But there you go. You have some examples. Yeah. I
0: was thinking about this on a personal level, which is I have a personal desire to learn how to bake bread at like a high, excellent level. And the reason why I've been exploring that a little bit, I bought uh Nancy Silverton. I don't know if you, if you know who Nancy Silverton is, but she's like a big deal in the culinary world. And she made her basically her like statement um, through bread. The reason why I think it's actually a matter of discipleship. And I think this is like the, the extension of the church that I'm looking forward to is, is like, we never think about um, how to be, self-producing vessels of communion, right? It's often it's often coming from and in our, in in the Anglican tradition, um the, the rector, the priest, the rev, you know, the reverend is the one who's blessed to consecrate the bread and everything like that. And so that's definitely a part of it. But even as an Anglican, I think it's so important that um that we can we we can find Um, unity. And we can find almost like, uh, what's the word? Like, like almost like a worshipful way of doing it from a distance as well. And I, and I often go back to this idea of like, how do we extend, um, you know, what we see as like a consecrated bread over vast amount of distances. And I think part of the answer is, um, you know, I think faith in the home has become much more of like a topic, And I think a part of that is how do we, how do we continue to, like, I get it. Like there's a, there's a tacit sacramental spiritual idea about blessing bread. Um, But I think that there is, there is (laughs) not a loophole, but this idea of uh, us learning underneath um, our leaders and our, our church elders and stuff like that of like things to how to break bread. So even if we can't deliver bread, even if we can't deliver that consecrated bread, we can create different new ways of creating and practicing and worshipping. That's one thought that I haven't really thought through deeply theologically, but I I mean I I just don't agree with the statement of you just can't have church online because of this or this or this. Mm-hmm. I think our Lord is bigger than that and the church is much more uh rooted in the reality of this universe than those statements those are my some yeah, my i thoughts. mean
2: i think um what you're saying and it's what i've been processing in those examples that i gave that um i think we're in an interesting situation where we are as communities and as the church are one very much more uh, put into our individual spaces mm-hmm. um but we're also pushed even harder to figure out what it means to be in community yeah um, so like all of my friendships right now are pretty much virtual, you know, like I'm very much on my own, but I'm intentionally reaching out to all these people even more than I would if I was in person with them. Um, and I think that's what the church is dealing with too, is how do you, it actually heightens the value of the individual, but it also heightens the value of community at the same time. Yeah. And I think the church for a long time has had this huge importance of the physical presence of things, which I think needs to be balanced. Cause that, I don't think that should be thrown away.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but when you can't have that, what do you do? Like um, there's the book silence, for example, I don't know if either of you has read, mm-hmm. have read that, but um, the, the premise of that is that you can't actually have church unless the priest physically goes and blesses things or prays or converts people. Right. And so now we're in a situation similar where in an Anglican church, can you have a blessed bread when the, priest is not physically there um you know which brings up the question like why can you have virtually breast, blessed bread you know mm-hmm. like what is the physical presence what is the role of physical presence in the church mm-hmm. and like can i put a piece of bread here and have a priest be like you know and now it's ready for communion like what is the what is the role of physical presence in the church today
1: one of the things that's fascinated me about like why I wanted to bring up this topic is because it's one, it's so central to like how we think, like, I mean, this is like whole denominations and people were burned at the stake for what we thought about what we're doing, you know, when we when we come to the Lord's table. And then also it just, it's like there there's, it's so central, but then it's also, there's so many nuances, it's so many ways to approach it, so many questions. And that's why I love that. I love those examples of thinking about that. Like, what is this? How do we wrestle through it? You know, is this an opportunity for discipleship in our home? Is this an opportunity for us to understand blessing in a different way? And I just I'm just very fascinated about that. Um, yeah, what we did what we decided to do as a church because of our like our polity and different things, um we did we would we take communion normally like once a month, first Sunday of the month. And so when we were not physically able to be together what we we ask people to do is just do it in your home on your own yeah and so i didn't lead it like i normally would do i didn't do anything but i like gave instruction was like this is how you do it because yeah. if we can't meet mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. then what is the church like if you're just stuck in your home whoever's there that's that's what you are mm-hmm. and and so that was the approach that so we took it was and it was interesting like it was a very out of the comfort zone for a lot of our people mm-hmm. that were like, we even had, you know, to some extent people like, well, I don't know if we're going to do this. We'll just wait until we get back together as a church. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I, I think that's okay too, but it was very interesting to see that those differences in perspective. And, um, I found something else that just, uh, a comment that, um, it was the author, Hannah Anderson, who writes, she's a, a Christian author and just writes a lot about, Christian life kind of had rooted in reality and she mentioned something along this about the separation during the the COVID lockdown and church and she was approaching it from the aspect of of women who are mothers who are not able to attend gatherings when they have children Mm -hmm. you know the baby is born and And thinking about the separation is kind of like a normal part of life right that was really helpful for me to think about that too as like we are embodied human beings and it's not just COVID that sometimes causes us to be separated right And so just entering into that, that humility of it, um, I think is really Mm -hmm. interesting, but I appreciate those are really like fascinating examples of how you think through that, how you use that, like what's essential of it Mm -hmm. and and how do we reshape that for the, the, for the world that we're living in?
0: Yeah. I mean, let me add one more last uh, point uh, for, for my part, which is, I find it fascinating that church gathering in the church uh, we find, uh, ex- you know, exhortation to do that in Hebrews and things like that. And I totally like, yeah, I mean, the church is vital in our lives if we are Christ followers, for sure. But I often think it's it's fascinating to me that we have made it into a moral virtue. Um, and like, it's almost like there's other p- places in the world, even, you know, outside of pandemic, where if you gathered as a church, you would be, potentially killed or process or like persecuted in some ways. I find this to be a very different circumstance and for churches to really like forego, like they're just going to ignore these other ways, like zoom and other things and just make it about like, Oh, it's about being physically together or it's, it's, you know, we're not going to succumb to, we're not going to bow down to COVID restrictions or, and things like that. I think that's a totally different, Mm-hmm. topic in general and so like and for, i think yeah even
1: shaping thinking about what we do when we're physically together yeah you know i mean mm-hmm. the pandemic mm-hmm. thing it's kind of like all or nothing but that's not going to be real life forever mm-hmm. and so like thinking about that the premium we could call it that of being together what is it that we that we prioritize mm-hmm. in that yeah is it that we all sit quietly and listen to one person mm-hmm. give us information is that what we prioritize when we're together? or are there ways that that can be done better in other settings or is it we prioritize gathering around the table you know there's it's it's an interesting thing to think about mm-hmm. that renewing that, that the fundamentals of the true christian
0: faith in yeah. new forms yeah we certainly need uh I, I'm, I'm hoping as we move out of a post-covid 19 setting um with vaccines coming out that we as a church can uh, really adopt some of the things that have made us more resilient, stronger. But also, I, I do hope that we're not just like waiting around for things to go backwards. I don't think that's what's happening. And so even conversations like this give me hope that we can maybe utilize some of the lessons that we are learning in the midst of this in order to uh, build a bridge towards that future church that we're, that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. All right. So that was kind of like our main discussion today, but I thought it would be really fun to end the podcast with just a kind of like a fun little segment in honor of GameStop and all that's been going on. We call it buy, sell, or hold, but instead of stocks and all that nonsense, we're just going to talk about things in culture, popular culture, music, art, things like that. So um, we're going to go around and just like, you know, just, name something, and then we're all going to decide whether it's a buy, which means it's going to be like increasing trend and we should like look into it more sell. Oh, it's, it's kind of waning. It's going to, it's going to be ancient history real soon or hold. It's just kind of like, yeah, like I kind of like it. I kind of don't, but it's, it's kind of there still. That's kind of what we're doing. Does that sound good?
1: Sounds good. What if, what if my, my things were actually like GameStop stock? (laughs) I guess I have to cross that off the list because so you're what not I'm saying
0: is like uh, hold, hold on the game stuff. Yeah, hold the line for sure. yeah, I mean, that was crazy. Um, people are millionaires today because of it, and um but I you know it's semiotics is all about, you know semi semiotician is a natural Wall Street wolf, you know what I mean? Just disgusting people. um so that's the part where I'm like, I, I just can't buy into that stuff, but um. I thought. I, I, let me start with one that I think is a fun one. The MCU Phase Four, the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase Four. Are you buying? Are you selling? Or are you holding? So you got to compare it to the last three phases. But what are you thinking about MCU Phase Four? And if you need some refreshing understanding of what's happening, I have the list.
1: You mean that they're gonna do it, or yeah, like yeah. what it's gonna be? No,
0: like so. I guess the premise is are you gonna are you gonna like it more oh, oh are you gonna like uh, it less or is it gonna be about the same and so like-
2: clarification yeah what are what's the different phases
0: yeah so like like, like the so it's just the, in in general it's just the the next movies that are coming out so when you come oh, I don't God. know I don't know how many marvel movies you've seen Kylie I feel like I feel like it's 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 hard to tell whether you've seen most of them or not but uh, I've seen almost all of them. Yeah, like you know, things like uh Captain America yeah, series, yeah, 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 yeah. The Avengers, okay, so it's just Spider-Man. the ones that are coming out. But yeah, Got the it. ones that are coming out are like Black Widow, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Eternals, well, I'm gonna Spider-Man. Start, I'm gonna start on a downer note, yeah, because that's just my
1: personality, and I'm gonna sell on that. That yeah. I'm gonna like them more. <laughs> and I and I'm not like I liked the Marvel movies at this point, yeah. But I wasn't like a huge fan. Like, I actually just watched. Yeah. end game like two weeks ago for yeah. the first time wow you're late <laughs> so, yeah exactly actually. so i'm not like huge and but uh, sal i mean the yeah the historical precedent of like sequels I and mean, uh, how often yeah. are sequels better than the
0: original? well you're jumping ship huh
1: i yeah i mean will they make tons of money if that's a the question then probably yeah because you know i mean
0: are they gonna be good them. movies though it's it's getting kind of wild be good
1: movie for me am i gonna like them more than they, i'm gonna sell yeah.
0: Kylie?
2: I'm selling. The only reason I've watched all of them is because the people I'm around tend to really like these. (laughs) Let's watch all of the Marvel movies in a week. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, I'm here, so I'm doing it.
0: Guys, I I I get really old really fast. I'm I'm disagreeing with you all. I think it's a buy. I think the MCU universe is only going to get more crazy. I don't know if you've been watching WandaVision. But if that's I was a- about
2: to ask, does this include WandaVision?
0: It does. It does. It's part of the new phase. And what they're doing now in the genre of superhero movies, how they're gonna put these twists on it, I think it's just gonna be more and more interesting. I feel like the last set of movies have done the same thing, just with different mm-hmm. like origin mm-hmm. stories. But now with Guardians of uh, Galaxy 3 and all the, I think they're gonna move the genre into like new things. And kind of WandaVision is like a perfect example of that because the first few episodes are different eras of television, so like the even the show itself has different genres built into it. And it's I think used that's using in the past, like yeah, yeah, yeah. we talked yeah. about, yeah. you know.
1: I guess it. Yeah, I mean, maybe you uh-huh. convinced me a little bit. I think I might be like a hold on the TV. Yeah, yeah, because I think television is where it's at. Yeah, but movies are. It's just good. Movies are just going to
2: be. Yeah, like, WandaVision is more creative. Yeah, I think yeah. the t- The movies themselves are. You can only repeat the same storyline so many times.
1: And you can't risk $350 million. Like, they just can't. So it's going to be That's like, true. what made us money last time? But on a TV show, yeah, cancel it, whatever. So Copy
2: and paste. Sell mm-hmm. on the
1: movies, maybe buy on them. Okay, okay. Maybe buy on them. All right. I haven't seen WandaVision, so.
0: All right, Stephen, you're maybe up. You should see it. It's
1: weird. All right, so what I wanted to start off with is um, the future of iPhone is foldable. So Apple's mm. going to introduce in the next couple of years, foldable iPhones, and we'll all have foldable iPhones in the future.
0: Kelly, you want to start Buy on this sell one? My or hold. That's, okay, can I clarify a clarifying question? Are you specifically talking about iPhones only, or are you talking about foldable phones in general as like a trend? I am uh, Apple. Apple, iPhone. wow. That's,
1: oh,
2: we're talking about iPhones.
0: Yeah,
1: Apple, Apple. iPhones. I mean, iPhone this doesn't exclude the fact, because I think mm-hmm. Samsung has one already, right? Right, 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 right
2: yeah I think so so
1: but I'm like iPhone yeah, is gonna because yeah, yeah. you know or they're gonna stick with the, the flat black square that would be mm-hmm. the yeah. but I think foldable so yeah
2: so I think I'm gonna buy on this one only because I I don't know like people have anticipated the fall of Apple for years but they just keep going or they keep on like weirdly copying old inventions and making them work And then they just keep on being popular. Also, I'm most familiar with Apple, so I really don't hope it keeps going because I can't relearn another technology. It would be too much work.
0: All right. So here's my thoughts. I am selling on this because I think what's going to happen is it's going to jump the folding thing, and it's going to turn into, like, the newspaper technology that I've been, like, reading about. So I feel like the next jump in the breakthrough of, like, personal handphones is not... The folding technology, but like the whole phone is like you can like wrap it up like a newspaper or something like that. They have that sure. technology. Just what
2: have whatever be. shape you want. Or let me add this real
0: you quick. I just thought your of this. Hair. Yeah, yeah. Or they just remove your eye and then put a new put eye. A in it. Yeah. Like, that's just that movie yeah. iPhone, yeah. really yeah. iPhone
1: contact. You
0: just put <laughs> it right.
2: There's already end of the world movies with that kind of technology. You know what I just,
0: here's <laughs> no. what I just read. This is a side tangent, no. side tangent. Someone put, someone embedded a $25 million diamond into their forehead. They had surgery to put a $25 million diamond stone one into their forehead. So I'm buying or on that. I'm buying on that save. technology.
1: You're going <laughs> to buy on that? <laughs> Become a trend just right in the middle.
0: Yeah. Wow. What are you doing, Steven? that was mine no but oh, wait, are you buy? yeah you haven't oh sold.
1: on that oh personally yeah i would sell on that but <laughs> as a trend pro- probably buy because people are crazy yeah so that's going to be a thing yeah. why not i'll buy it
0: awesome all right kyle you're up right. that
1: i have money for a twenty thousand oh, i i'm up
2: okay um i am going with um the tiny homes trend Tiny. oh
0: this is a good one Good one, tiny homes, tiny homes. <laughs> uh, Stephen, you want to go first? I, I feel
1: like, I feel like it's kind of peaked. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe it's like hold the line, but I because I feel like the pandemic. So, okay, so everyone's like tiny home out of until you get quarantined in your tiny little home with your two dogs and your, True. you know, significant other. I, I mean. I gonna sell, I think. <laughs> Unless it's tiny homes, big property. <laughs> we can wander there up. is
2: that. There is that. All
0: right. It's okay. So it's a buy if our world becomes children of men <laughs> and and there's just no more children ever. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's a great movie. You should watch it. I totally recommend it. But it's a, that movie's about, uh that movie is about a world where women cannot have children anymore. And so, like, the youngest person is, like, like a celebrity and, th- and things like that. And so if we live in that world, tiny homes are going to just kill it. What about the world where
1: everybody has kids and then they put them on their social media <laughs> pictures?
0: <over laughs> that so, world, like I, now. I am selling s- small <laughs> homes. Now, here's the thing. Like,
1: how many? Go ahead.
0: Sorry. No, I put it in the same category as van life. As soon as like you know, all these hippie people like in this in the Pacific Northwest, they're like all about the van life. They're they're buying these thirty-year-old vans for like forty five thousand dollars because they have this like this like dream in their mind that they just don't need anything. And yet they're forgetting that they're eating, pooping, needing hygiene, having kids. Zoom
1: calls. Like, where do you do a zoom call in no. a tiny house? Like, sorry, like my you know, like my my girlfriend is like literally like right here. Yeah. You know, my wife. <laughs>
0: No, I'm, I'm selling on small homes. I'm not a minimalist and we are becoming a more materialistic culture. Uh, and that's a good thing. No, I'm just kidding. That's a bad thing. But yeah, I'm I'm selling on tiny homes. Kylie, what are you doing?
2: Okay, I think I'm buying on it, but like not for the in like forever future. I just think it's got it's not at its peak yet, especially wow. because all those hippies who are my age um, so me, um, are getting this like you have the tiny homes, and I think the van life counts as a tiny home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you get you get the tiny home, the minimalism, and then you just can go wherever you want. Mm-hmm. Also, the whole um eco-friendly thing is getting a whole lot of um momentum. Yeah. And tiny homes are very, very much in line with that. That's true. So I think that's just adding to the minimalism. Yeah. And the van life and the tiny homes. So I think it's got a it's got a good almost five, maybe 10 years left in it. And
1: life yeah. might be the thing because like in the States, like it might be like, hey, I don't like the COVID lockdown rules in Michigan. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, honey, let's drive to Indiana where it's like Wild West. You, you
2: can know, just go wherever you want. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, be,
1: but you I'm know still, I think I'm still self.
0: Objectively, I think I think you're right. It, it should be a buy in general, because I think when, when you look at places like Japan. Or places that are super dense already it's just inevitable they need to make like homes smaller to accommodate people That's and true. uh the technology is allowing it to be more and more convenient but it is a mm-hmm. hell hole for parents with more than half oh, a kid for sure if you have half but... a kid or more you are in trouble half a kid is fine
2: <laughs> but it's also cool. architecture itself is becoming more and more minimalistic
0: yeah
2: and uh smaller families So less and less kids or no kids and just like houses are being built smaller and with less aspects to them. So
1: I, yeah, I do think, I do think the more minimalist lifestyle, like, I think we're moving away from the, like the suburban huge house. That's way too big. Even if you have Mm -hmm. two or three kids, I think we are moving away from that. Yeah. I tiny
2: home
1: though. I don't know. You need to have a group. Right. Yeah. The people. Yeah. That,
2: Which yeah. does very often
1: uh, drive is at the head
2: of the trends. It's true. So
1: it's true. Still money to be had there, maybe. I don't yeah, know. yeah,
2: yeah. I'm buying. That's
1: it. a good one. That's a good one. Um, thank you for joining us. It's been a lot of fun here. I hope that you all have had fun being with us. Uh, feel free to engage us and join in the conversation as we move along with these. We'd love in, your input and ideas um yeah it's been it's been great for us so um man why don't you give your your uh, contact if somebody wanted to get in touch with you
0: okay you can find me on every social media thing on the planet at i am minsu choi i'm on instagram and twitter the most would love to connect with you
2: and, and you Kylie. can find me um primarily on instagram at kn palpent um i'd love to love to engage with you and have a conversation. <laughs> you don't mean that. I the way that you said that. It's hilarious. Men?
0: Don't bother Kylie.
2: Just don't not bother on Kylie. Twitter. I don't have Twitter.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, tw- don't tweet her. <laughs> and for me, Twitter is probably the best place to connect with me. Uh, it's Steven Anderson. A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. But the A is a four. Mm. So if you look at it, it looks like Steven Anderson. But it's Steven, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, four, N-D-E-R-S-O-N. Yeah. Wow. Twitter nice. and pretty much everywhere. It's the same handle.
0: All right, friends, that is all. We'll catch you in the next episode. If you can, please subscribe, uh, comment in, send us a voicemail and we'll answer any questions that you may have. We love engaging with our community. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week.